Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In our gospel lesson today, Jesus continues to teach the disciples what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian means self-denial and taking up the cross, as we have seen. It means a reversal of worldly power dynamics. Jesus says that the greatest among you is the one who is the neediest. God goes in search of the lost one and rejoices at the recovery of the lost one. Christians, likewise, must look out for each other and warn others not to fall into sin, not in a smug and self-righteous manner, but out of love, out of genuine concern for the wayward Christian. So forgiveness must be preached to the troubled conscience. Now, after this teaching that Jesus has given, which we have heard in the past couple weeks, now comes Peter with a logical question. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Seven is a good number. It's a biblical number, number of wholeness, um, fullness. So is that enough? He's looking at this through the lens of the law and saying, well, you know, what is the law, Jesus? How many times must I forgive my brother who has sinned against me? Now, Jesus says 77 times or 70 times 7. It just kind of depends on how you translate that. and You'll see both translations. But it's the same sort of thing. He's saying, no, it's not seven times. It's like 77 times or it's forever. It's every time. That's how often you forgive him. Every time he asks for forgiveness, you forgive him. And to illustrate this, he gives a parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. First of all, it's an interesting point to stop there for a moment and just consider that how this parable starts. How does it start? The kingdom of heaven is like the settling of accounts where bookkeeping has come to an end, where the tracking of your accounts has ceased because in Christ, they have been fulfilled. The keeping of the law that you owe to God, that's fulfilled in Christ. So the kingdom of heaven starts with the cessation of that bookkeeping effort. We're gonna settle the accounts now. So remember that. Don't just skip over that, but think about that. This is the way the kingdom of heaven starts. It starts by stopping, stopping the tracking of your sins and your transgressions. So in order to settle the accounts, the king brings in the debtor who owes 10,000 talents. That number is like this. This is like uh, uh, Austin Powers, you know, where, where he, he, he says, one million dollars, you know, and he was frozen cryogenically in the 1960s. So a million dollars is like a lot. But then in the future, when he says a million dollars, everyone's like, um, okay. Well, anyway, how much is 10,000 talents? Is that a lot of money? Yes, it is uh, a thousand. What's the ratio? I got it here. Ten, uh, six thousand denarii. denarii. So six thousand denarii is one talent. So six thousand denarii times ten thousand talents is sixty million denarii. Sixty million denarii. Yeah. So it is. It, how long? What, what, how much is that? That's kind of hard to understand too. Okay. Well, an average. Uh, laborer, like a day laborer, makes one denarii a day. 
so, it's 164,000 years of working every day. Does that sound like a debt that one could pay back? See, that's the whole point. Just like forgiveness can't be numbered, this debt can't be paid. This is a debt that cannot be paid. Of course, it doesn't stop the, <laughs> the, the servant from saying, have mercy on me, I'll pay it all back. Oh, really? What, are you going to live for 164,000 years and work every day of your life? I mean, even if he had a good job and made more than that, I mean, still, the point is, he's never going to pay this, this debt back. And so the, the promise becomes an empty promise, too. It's like adding insult to injury um, because he's making an empty promise. Don't worry, God, or don't worry, Master, I'll pay it all back to you. No, you won't. There's no way you can. The debt is too enormous. But you're pleading with me for mercy. And guess what? The king is gracious and merciful and forgives you of your debt. That's the, the image. We see that, right? So we understand the connection there. So we come to the next stage in the drama. What happens? Forgiven servant has been set free of this debt that he never could repay. So he goes out and who does he stumble upon? He stumbles upon this no good jerk who borrowed 100 denarii from me and never paid it back. And so what does the servant, the fellow laborer of his, who owes him 100 denarii, what does he do? That's kind of like a repeat of the same thing. He, he says, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me and I will pay it back to you. Now we see the difference because this servant who has just been forgiven this enormous debt. And what does he do? He chokes him. Chokes him and send off to prison until you should pay the debt back. Wow. I mean, this is really a wicked serpent. So word gets around to the king and the king brings him in. You wicked servant. That's what he says to him. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The injustice here is palpable. It just hits you. Yeah, this is a gross injustice. And here this guy was forgiven everything. I mean, a huge debt. He never could possibly pay it back. I mean, meanwhile, 100 denarii is, well, it's one denarii a day. That's like, you know, three months wages or something. Um, you know, so it's, it's not a small amount. But nevertheless, I mean, it could be paid back. It's not the massive debt that he was forgiven. You know, it's just this trivial matter, relatively. We see this concept play out in Joseph's uh, account also we read from the Old Testament. The, the brothers came to him also with a disingenuous promise, a promise that, or, you know, in a sense, it was like a disingenuous promise. It wasn't a promise, but they just said, oh, our father said that you should forgive us. That's, that's what, oh, dad said to tell you that you should forgive us. You know, no, they're lying to him. But nevertheless, look at how Joseph responds. Am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? And he says, no. You know, I mean, what Joseph does might be seen as even maybe blasphemous by some people. Because what he says is, you didn't throw me in the pit. God did. That evil thing that was done to me wasn't really you. It was God. But God's purposes were good. And so I suffered that at God's hands so that many could be saved. And, and here we have this 
this forgiveness. We, we see in Psalm 103 also, God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And this, don't, don't lose track of the end, ending here of this verse 12. As far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? Well, if, if the east is all the way over there and the west is all the way over there, they're like infinitely far from each other. Kind of like a debt that can't be repaid. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's how far away your sins are taken from you for the sake of Jesus Christ. So we know and we confess all this to be true. That God forgives us and all sinners to the uttermost, as far as the east is from the west. And that the other thing is that nobody is beyond the ability of God's forgiveness. This debt is so enormous and God forgave it. So nobody is beyond the ability of forgiveness. But then we read these final verses. And we might experience a little bit of fear and a little anxiety if we read these final verses of our lesson and think and ponder about them. Again, in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. The word that is rendered here, jailers, is, could be called tormentors. Uh, there's a sense of, of torture associated with that word. He was, uh, delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, if this hearing this terrifies you, then let me ask a few questions and hopefully provide some explanation for this also. Firstly, why does this terrify you? Is it because there's someone that you have not forgiven from your heart? If so, your first temptation might be to explain and to say to yourself something like, uh, well, they haven't repented, so, so I don't owe them the forgiveness. Now, it's true that in the parable, the servant pleaded for the forgiveness of the debt. How also, it's also true that he made empty promises. I'll pay it all back. I'm really sorry. I'll pay it all back. No, you won't. And you can't pay it all back. And yet, you're still forgiven. So the idea that we can excuse ourselves from this mandate because, well, they haven't you know, really justified the forgiveness. They haven't, they don't seem remorseful, so I'm not going to forgive them. No, that's, that doesn't really square with what Jesus is saying here. And Jesus makes it clear in the parable that the servant was never deserving of the mercy and forgiveness that he received. And so he received it not because of his own worthiness, but because of the master's graciousness. That's what we're being called to is, is a graciousness here. Um, so we don't have the option of saying that the person who sinned is not worthy of forgiveness. Yeah, of course they're not worthy of forgiveness. The person who sinned against you, they're not worthy of forgiveness. But neither are you, and you've been forgiven. So that kind of goes off the table, too. We can't use that as an excuse. So we're back to this problem. Someone has sinned against you, and you're having trouble forgiving them. So here's a second question to ask. Do you confess that Christ died for their sins. 
do you confess that Christ, that Christ offers them forgiveness? If the answer to either of those questions is no, then all I can say is repent of your wickedness. Because, of course, Christ has died for their sins. He's died for the sins of the whole world. They don't have to receive that forgiveness. They can foolishly turn away and say, I don't want to receive that forgiveness that Christ offers. But Christ continues to offer that forgiveness. God continues to offer that forgiveness for the sake of Jesus Christ. Christ, in fact, died for the sins of the whole world and even for the sins of those people who were there crucifying him. Remember what it was that he said at the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even the people that were there crucifying him, he prayed that they be forgiven. That's the, the, the depth of his forgiveness for the ones that were crucifying him. So, if you have that feeling that Christ didn't die for their sins, repent of denying them forgiveness. Christ gives them that forgiveness. And if you don't repent that you deny, or if you deny that Christ gives them that forgiveness, you're really denying your self-forgiveness. That's what he's saying in here is you're denying your self-forgiveness. If you say that person's not worthy of forgiveness, therefore Christ hasn't forgiven them, guess what? You're saying the same thing about yourself and you're excluding yourself from Christ's forgiveness. But if the answer to this is yes, I can't stand him. He sinned against me. I can't find it in my heart to forgive him, but I know that Christ died for his sins. I know it, and I confess it. Christ did die for his sins. One of these days, maybe I'll be able to get over this and forgive him. But right now, I'm still angry, and I still can't get over that. Okay. But you know, because God has revealed in his word, you know that Christ died for his sins and that he's forgiven. And you know that and you confess that. And indeed, you may feel the, the unforgiveness your entire life. You might feel like I never can forgive that. And then you're really terrified when you hear a message like this because you feel like, does this mean I am doomed to hell because I cannot forgive? Is that really what Jesus is saying here? I think that Dr. Gibbs, who wrote the Concordia Commentary series, put this very well and pastorally. And I want to read a short quote of his. He said, Emotions may cloud the mind and the heart, but they cannot trump the promises of God. See, when you withhold your own forgiveness and you don't forgive from your heart, you are guilty of a sin, just like every other sin that you've committed that you're guilty of. But Christ's forgiveness doesn't stop at this one sin, this one sin where you can't find it in your heart to forgive him. No, in Christ, you have his righteousness. You have forgiven them from your heart because you have the righteousness of Christ. And the righteousness of Christ was the righteousness that said to his tormentors, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So that forgiveness that Christ gave that's the forgiveness you're giving them. This isn't an encouragement to hang on to bitter feelings and animosity. 
You know, when you hear this word, you know the right thing. And the right thing is that if God forgave them of the sins that are so much greater and he forgave me of the sins I never could pay back, well, yeah, I should also forgive them. So you know that to be true. But when you feel down, when you feel like you can't measure up to this, just know that Jesus has done this for you. And that by faith, you're receiving his righteousness, which has accomplished that forgiveness. So be encouraged and strengthened by that. In Christ and for his sake, you do actually forgive your brother from your heart. Even when you don't feel like you do. Remember, your feelings can deceive you. But you do because Christ has done that forgiveness for you, both for you, for your brother and sister, and for all the world. Christ has set us all free from the condemnation of the law. Thanks be to God. The peace which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.